Well, several months ago, I was at a family gathering, and one of the ladies there was telling a story about how she was getting ready for work one morning, and so she was, you know, jumped out of the shower, threw a bathrobe on, had her hair, you know, up in a towel, and was doing the whole thing. And she ended up going through the house, and she walked into one of her daughter's rooms to ask her a question without realizing she was completely unaware that her daughter was actually taking an online course, college course, as she walked in. And apparently, I'd never heard of this before, but the technology that's going on with college online courses now is not that you can just see what's going on in the class, but that the class can also see what's going on with you. And so she walks in, and she's got her hair all up, and, she, and apparently her daughter's face is on a projector on the front of the screen, and the entire class can see. And so she kind of like freezes, she like bounces left, bounces right, and then just falls to the ground. And then she's like, now what? So she's like stuck behind on the ground. She thinks she's behind the chair out of the camera eye. So she army crawls backwards out of the room, right? Not realizing, completely unaware that she's still in 100% sight of the camera. So this class saw this lady run in, dodge left, dodge right, fall to the ground, crawl out. And one of her daughter's friends who was in the class seeing this all on this big screen wrote to her and just said, smooth. Now, my friends here who have experienced this, these, these daughters who live in the house with this, this poor, unaware woman in the moment are living with incredible fear in their hearts that something like this will ever happen again. And so in that story, you sort of see somebody who is unaware of a situation. You see some other people who are now fearful. And as we kind of talk about what we've been talking about over these last few weeks, I think those are two characteristics of some of us as well. Now, some of us, when we talk about Jesus coming back, when we talk about the end of the world, when we talk about end times, all these things, some of us are just living sort of unaware. We don't really think about Jesus coming back too much. If you're not a follower of Jesus, just so you know, this is what we believe. We believe that Jesus died and he rose back from the dead and that he ascended to heaven and that there's going to be a day where he comes back. Now, we don't believe that blindly. We believe that because he's shown up in our lives. We believe that because of the things that we've seen in the evidence CD set or the visitor CDs where, man, my story was just doubting God, doubting Jesus, and then digging, digging, digging and finding answers until I was convinced. So we don't believe it blindly, but we do believe that Jesus is coming back. And sometimes we're just unaware. We just go through our lives not really thinking much about that at all. And then I think the other extreme is to be fearful. That we think about the end of the world, or we think about Jesus coming back. And, and as I've said in this series, I don't know when the day and time is. Jesus said we, we're not going to know when the day and time is. But a lot of us, we get caught up in all this, and we get really, really fearful about it. We get anxious about it. And so in the first two parts of this series, I've just tried to encourage you and tried to dispel some of the fear and help us know what to do with all this stuff that we're hearing and feeling. And even if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is all this end of the world type of stuff is all in the media and everyone's talking about it and all the TV shows and movies. And so it's just everywhere. And so what do we do with this? Well, in week one, I just encourage you to live every day like Jesus is coming back today. I think that's the best thing we could do. Just always be ready. That deals with sometimes our struggle with being aware. We're just always thinking. And I don't know about you guys, but over the last two weeks since I gave that message, I've had a, an alarm go off on my phone every day about a specific issue in my life. And it just says, live every day like Jesus is coming back today. Don't, and then so-and-so. And I filled in my blank. And I hope you filled in your blank. I hope you've let the reality that Jesus is coming back, and this could be the day, affect how you live over the last several weeks. Because I know it's impacted me. And then last week, I tried to encourage you that as we look around at a dark world, and things get a little scary, that we can't be fearful. That, that in fact, what we've got to do as it gets darker, we've got to shine more brightly. That's the way it works. This is why we're here, is to be those helpful, shining 
lights to the world around us that so desperately need Jesus. So I hope you've been encouraged and you kind of know what to do. But I think there's a couple of things still rattling around in our minds when we think about all this. I think there's a couple of fears we wrestle with still having to do with this. Because here's the truth. Some of us in the room, you're going, Doug, I appreciate you're trying to remove some of the fear of this and the uncertainty of this. But, but maybe you've had this thought. But someone is going to be alive when Jesus comes back, right? Someone's going to be alive when it's the end of the world. So if this is us, that kind of freaks me out a little bit. And there's two questions that you may think about if that's true for you. Now, there's others of us, others of us in the room that are, are like, I don't know about all that. But here's what I do know, and I think we could all agree on this. Our world is becoming more and more a difficult place to be a follower of Jesus, isn't it? Every day. And so whether this is the end of the world or Jesus is coming back or not, we can all agree that the world is getting darker and it is becoming more difficult and challenging to be a follower of Jesus. And out of that comes two thoughts. And the first thought is this, is Jesus, is, is following Jesus still worth it? Like when it starts to cost us something, when it starts to become more difficult, is following Jesus worth it? You know, I think we are all like, yeah, man, I want Jesus. I want all that he has for me. I'm, I'm excited for him. When we're hearing about salvation and we're hearing about healing and grace and mercy and all these wonderful things, the joy that he gives and the peace that he gives us. But suddenly, when it starts to cost something, it changes how we think about it. And we sort of sit back and we go, well, wait, is this still worth it? I love being around my family and my kids are hysterical, always cracking me up. I love my wife. We have a lot of fun together. We have a nice romantic date planned tomorrow. I surprised her tonight with something we're doing tomorrow. So we have a blast together. Where's the Oz? Come on. No Oz for that. Anyway. And so thank you, Andrew. That was wonderful. Uh, and so um, we're, uh, we're doing something fun. So we love being together. But a few weeks ago, uh, this is a crazy season for us here at church. So I was here a little later than usual. And so, so Kelly texted me. And normally I really look forward to going home. But this is the text I got. She said, the kids are really cranky, and I feel terrible. When are you coming home? And so I texted her back, well, when you put it like that, I'm not. Now, of course, I really went home. I'm not an idiot, okay? But when I normally think about going home, I think about the good. I think about the fun. I think about enjoying my kids and my family. But on that day, I thought, this is going to cost something. I have to be in, like, disciplined dad mode, and I'm going to have to see my wife in pain and not feeling well, and I don't enjoy that. And and so when there's a cost, it sort of changes how we think about something. And I think the same is true for Jesus and following him. Is it worth it to follow him as it starts to cost us a little bit more here, especially in America, to be followers of Jesus? So I want to talk a little bit about that tonight. And then the other thing that I think we struggle with, and I think this is a huge deal. I think we ask ourselves this question. Okay, let's, let's say I do determine that following Jesus is worth it. Here's the question, but do I have what it takes to stand strong no matter what? Will I follow him to the end? Will I follow him no matter what happens, no matter what is threatened, no matter what people try to take away from me, no matter what? If I were to lose my popularity, my influence, my job, my relationships, my family, or even my very life, do I have what it takes to stand Strong? Will I keep my faith in Jesus no matter what? And I think I would guess that 99% of the followers of Jesus in this room struggle with that question sometimes. And you hear about things that happen to Christians around the world, and you put yourself in their situation, and you look at that and go, I don't know if I could do that. And here's what I think I think that scares us to death. 
I think when we sit and think about that, it's like, man, what does that mean about me? Am I not a follower of Jesus? Like, is this not real in me? Do I not love God enough? Am I uncertain? And so I want to talk a little bit about that tonight as well. Because I think that these are two important questions. Is it worth it to follow Jesus no matter what? And do I have the strength, the guts to follow Jesus no matter what? And so we're going to look at that tonight. I know these are some thoughts that I have. These are thoughts I've wrestled with. I I put myself in scenarios when I hear things that happen around the world and you just go, wow, would I be able to stand strong here? And so I'm guessing that you have some of these thoughts as well. But if you're not a follower of Jesus, you're like, wow, this is like a really intense topic tonight. Why would these people let being a follower of Jesus cost them anything at all? And I hope tonight you're going to see why. I hope tonight you're going to see what we've discovered about Jesus that might just make us willing to do something like that. And so we're going to look at two main chunks of Scripture today, and each one of them is going to answer the the different question. So first we're going to look at some verses in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to answer the question, is following Jesus worth it? And Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, one of his great friends, and so he's an eyewitness of all that Jesus did. And so he's going to share some of his eyewitness account of what he saw Jesus do and say in Matthew 16 in answer to this question, is following Jesus worth it? So verse 21 says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so Jesus has just explained. Now, this is really cool. If you're not a follower of Jesus, this isn't Jesus telling his disciples after the fact what would happen to him. No, this is saying, hey, this is going to happen to me. So that's pretty powerful. But I think right up front here, we have some incredible evidence as to why following Jesus is worth it. In this verse, we see why following Jesus is worth it. Because he was beaten for you and me. Why was he beaten? Because of your sin and my sin. He was put on a cross. Why? Well, you and I should have been there. But he took our place. And he raised back from the dead. I don't know about you, but I don't know many people that would be willing to be beaten in my place. I don't know many people that would be willing to die in my place, and I don't know anyone that has the power to raise back from the dead. And so I'm thinking, if those three things are true of Jesus, then he's worth following. If you're not a follower of Jesus, like I've been saying, I know you may be struggling to believe that. You may be saying, Doug, that's all nice if it's true, but how do I know if Jesus did those things? Again, I'd encourage you to talk with me after or grab one of those evidence CD sets, and it'll give you the answers you're looking for. But let's jump down to verse 24. Jesus goes on, says this, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So what Jesus is saying here is that there's a cost to following him. And that's when you and I sort of, sort of sit back and we go, well, then I don't know if it's worth following him. Now, let me be crystal clear here what this means and what it doesn't mean, okay? What Jesus is not saying here is, okay, I will save you if you pay me in some way to save you. This is not a transaction between us and God. Jesus is not looking at his followers saying, okay, take up your cross and follow me. Or or in other words, there's a cost, and if you don't pay the cost, then I won't save you. No, see, our salvation is a free gift that God gives us. You didn't do anything, nor did I, to deserve our salvation. It's a free gift that Jesus gave us. But Jesus is making it clear here that there's still a cost. Well, how does that work? 
we'll see it works like this. You see, the, the transaction that Jesus is talking about here isn't between us and God. It's between us and the world around us. You see, the world doesn't always love Christians. Just look at Jesus, God in the flesh, and they put him on a cross. And so the world is hostile often to Christians, and that's what Jesus is referencing here. He's not saying, hey, you owe me something for saving you. He's saying, no, I just want you to know if you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, there's a cost. The world around you may not love you. The world around you may do some terrible things to you. And that's, again, where you and I sit back and go, well, then, is it worth it to follow Jesus? Well, Jesus read our mind here. He goes in verse 25, he says this, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Here's what Jesus knows. He knows that when we try to protect our lives, let's just say this, this area right here represents my life, and so this is my living body, this is my my family, my friends, this is my money, it's my job, my relationship, any influences I have. When we are all about this, and we're trying to keep this all safe and protected, and God's not allowed to touch any of this stuff, here's what Jesus is saying. You can like try and protect all this little stuff. It doesn't work anyway, but you're going to lose real life. You protect your little life, but you're going to lose real life. Well, what's real life? Well, real life is what Jesus offers you and I. It's the joy in our heart. It's the peace in our heart. It's salvation from our sin. And what Jesus is saying here is, if you make life all about this and you protect this, then you're going to push Jesus away, which means you won't get real life. You see, Jesus is wanting so much more for you and I than just a nice family and nice relationships and money and a great job. He wants our souls. He wants to rescue us. He wants to fill us with satisfaction. He wants to give us joy and peace and hope in him. And Jesus is saying here, when you and I make our little lives ultimate, we push Jesus away and we miss out on real life. But then he says this, but when you and I see Jesus who was beaten for us and crucified for us and rose back from the dead, when we see him and we say, I'll push away my little life, God, I'll push away influence, popularity, relationships, even my own life so that I can have this real life in you. Jesus is saying, that's when you find it. That's what real life is. It's the life that God offers. It's the eternal life, and it's the life here and now, the joy, the peace, the hope that only he can offer. And then Jesus asks a great question in verse 26. He says, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? What good will it be for you and I to give up Jesus but gain everything else? I mean, you don't even have to be a follower of Jesus to know that this statement Jesus just made is true. All you got to do is watch reality TV to know that this statement is true. How many reality you know, TV shows have we seen where the actor, the athlete, the, the, music, the musician, all these famous people that have everything. They got water slides to take them from one bathroom to another. I mean, they got everything, and yet their wife hates them, their kids want nothing to do with them, and they are empty inside. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, what would it be good? It, what, what would that do for you if you were to say no to all of this, you know, or I'm sorry, to say no to all that Jesus offers just so you can have this? What can you give? What, what good would that do for you? You and I know the truth that rejecting Jesus and pushing Jesus away leaves us in that emptiness. You know, I've been a follower of Jesus a long time, but I've sent, spent seasons of my life away from God. And I would guess many of you have too, whether you got saved later in life or whether you just kind of run and done your own thing for different seasons like I did. 
And here's what I think we all know about those times. When we're, when we're trying to only preserve and protect, it, protect this and we're pushing God away, we're pushing the life that he offers away, we're miserable here. Because we're looking for all the things that only God can do in our soul in life, here and now, temporary life. And Jesus is saying, it's not going to do you any good. It's not going to do you any good. And the word soul here doesn't just mean your, your will and your mind and emotions, which sometimes that word soul means that in the Bible. But the Greek word that Matthew's using here actually means that part of us that needs saving. And so Jesus is saying here, what can, or I'm sorry, run back to this one. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole word, yet forfeit that part of them that needs saving? And when you and I walk away from Jesus because it's getting too hard, it's costing too much. We're forfeiting that part of us that Jesus so desperately wants to save, that part that he wants to give us peace and joy and hope. And then he continues the question. He says, what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? What Jesus is saying here is your soul is priceless. That part of you that needs saving, if you say, I'm just going to jam all kinds of entertainment and stuff and sin and popularity and a, a safe family and life and What can you give in exchange for your soul? Nothing. Your soul is priceless. There is no price for what Jesus can do for you and I. And just a little side note, do you know that safety is an illusion anyway? Like when we step back, all right, sweet, man, I'm safe now. I'm not doing things God's way, but I'm safe, and I got everything under control, and everything's good. I was just talking with a family member this week who uh, his nephew was like making top bank in his job. He was rolling up, doing like crazy deals and just doing a great job and hitting out of the park and just living, literally living the dream, living the life. And the bottom recently fell out on him and he is a mess. And he would have told you like a year ago, I got this. I figured life out. And now he's realizing how empty he is and that there's nothing he could exchange for his soul. And so following Jesus is worth it because Jesus is saying, I'm offering what no one else is, real life. Not temporary, fleeting, here and now life, real life. And then Jesus, in verse 27, takes us even further. says, for the Son of Man, and Jesus is referring to himself, that's one of the names of Jesus in in the Bible. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he'll reward each person according to what they have done. And so... What Jesus is doing here is he's saying, okay, let's stop worrying about here and now temporary life, and let's talk about real eternal life. You see, when Jesus comes, whether that's in my lifetime or in 2,000 years from now, when Jesus comes, not one of us is going to regret that we followed him. Not one of us can be like, ah, I should have, you know, I should have slept around more. I should have looked at more porn. I should have I just lived for the temporary. I should have lived for the here and now. I, I should have just followed my own way. I, no, every one of us in that moment, we're going to be so grateful that we walked toward our Savior and that we did things his way and that we were willing to count the cost and that we saw it was worth it to follow Jesus. And I love, it says here, that he'll reward each person according to what they've done. So what Jesus is saying here is, it always benefits you to follow me. The good always outweighs the bad. The benefits always outweigh the cost. Whether it costs you popularity or influence or relationships or jobs or your very life, Jesus is saying here, just so you know, it's always, always 
worth it. Sort of this is, I think, how it goes. Imagine somebody came up to you and said, hey, I'll give you a million dollars, but you have to give me a quarter. You're like, Doug, that, that's a cost, though. You're asking me to give something up in order to get that million dollars. You're asking, it to let, you're, asking, you're asking me to let me cost it something. Yeah, but every single one of us in this room would go for that, right? We would all say, okay, that little cost is something I'm willing to give up in order to get the greater gift. My son Landon, who's seven, thinks that a quarter is a lot of money. Like he's literally cried over a quarter being lost. And you know what? I think that sometimes that's like us looking at our here and now little lives, our 25 cent worth lives. And we're going, all right, preserve this, keep this at all costs. And Landon's got, of course, as a, as a godly young man, should have a Mets wallet. And uh, so he's got all of his change in this one little zipper pocket over there. And he's got it all zipped up and he's got everything secure. And that 25 cents isn't going anywhere. He's all focused on it. And that's us looking at our lives. I've got to be protected and safe and comfortable and good. And Jesus is saying, look, I am offering you so much more than that. When you're standing face to face with your Savior, you won't look at your 25 cent life. I think it meant much at all. It'd be like landing crying over losing a quarter. And then me standing there with perspective going, buddy, that's nothing. See, that'll be our perspective when we're in heaven looking back. We go, man, the life that I thought was so important, the life that I did so much to try to preserve was really ultimately worth nothing. It was all about the life that Jesus offered me. And what's great is, is this verse is saying that God will reward us when he comes again. But also, you know this, if you've been a follower of Jesus, though there's a cost sometimes to following Jesus, the peace we experience here and now, the joy we experience here and now, the satisfaction you and I in God have here and now is tangible. We get in on that now. We begin to see the changes God makes in our lives here and now. And so following Jesus is worth it, no matter what, no matter how hard it gets, no matter how difficult, no matter what's threatened in our life, following Jesus is always worth it. But what about our other struggle? Because I would guess this is the bigger struggle in the room. I would guess a lot of us who at the end of the day would probably say, yeah, following Jesus is worth it. But I think the thing that keeps us nervous is that we just don't know if we have what it takes to keep following Jesus, no matter what the cost. That's where I think we're a little bit more unsure. And so we're going to look at a few verses here, a story. We're going to see, I think, what's going to give a lot of us peace about this. I know I wrestle with this myself. And so we're going to look at Acts 16 for a few minutes. If you've been in church for a while, you're familiar with this story. But I want to bring out something that I know I had never seen before and I think is going to be powerful for us. If, if you're new to this, then we're going to talk about some guys named Paul and Silas. And, and these were some guys that had seen God do some amazing things. And they had done a miracle where they set someone free that, uh, that was just really, really under some incredible bondage. And some people got really mad, and they brought Paul and Silas before the authorities. And that's where we pick it up in verse 22. It says this, The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. And you and I look at that and go, whoa. You see, that's what I don't know if I have in me. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet 
and the stocks. And again, you and I look at that and we go, I don't know if I have that in me. I wish I had it in me. I would hope I'd have that in me, but I don't know if I could do that. So what's going on here is this jailer has been given orders to put these guys in prison. And after they've been beaten, not only does he put them in prison, but he brings them into the inner cell and puts their feet in these stocks. This jailer was probably like ex-military. It was no joke. He was in there and knew how much the world hated Christians in the first century and probably had some of that in his own heart. And so not only did he put Paul and Silas, who weren't going to go anywhere or do anything or hurt anybody, in the inner cell, which was reserved for the people that were the nasty of the nasty, and not only did he put them in there, but he fastened their ankles shut. And so they're in this pit in the ground. That's where you and I go, man, if I was there, I don't know. I mean, countless times we see in Acts, the, 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 the leaders, the authorities, they just say, just stop preaching about Jesus. We'll let you go. And you and I go, man, it'd be hard not to take them up on that. But what do we see here in this story? Well, unfortunately, Paul and Silas's initial reaction isn't going to give us much encouragement because it's kind of amazing and phenomenal. And again, we go, I don't know if I could do this, but in verse 25, it says this, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. And you and I go, I can't sing hymns to God when I like stub my toe, you know? Like, I don't know about being in a cell and then dungeon, having been beaten. How's this happening? Well, first off, it's happening because Paul and Silas were convinced of something. They were convinced that following Jesus is worth it. But the second thing is where I want you to find a lot of peace. You know what the second thing is? Why they were able to do this? Why they were able to praise in the midst of a jail? jail? Is because God was giving them grace to go through what they had to go through. You see, the reason, please hear me on this, the reason you're not sure if you could go through what they're going through right now is because you don't have to go through what they're going through right now. You've never had to do this before. And I think this is where the enemy loves to whisper in our ears. We read a story like this, we go, you're not Apostle Paul. You'd run and hide. You'd be scared. And I have those thoughts run through my head sometimes. But these guys were only able to go through what they went through because God was there with them, giving them supernatural grace to go through it. Can we all agree that singing hymns of praise is not a normal response to being beaten and thrown in prison? So something unique is going on here. This is not Paul and Silas, these supermen. No, this is Paul and Silas with Jesus walking with them. Saying, I'm going to fill you with a supernatural grace to endure this, to go through what you could never go through otherwise. God was giving them grace to endure situations that were otherwise unendurable. And guys, he'll do the same for you and me. I mean, thank God in this country, we're, we're nowhere near anything even like this. But some of us just go, you know what? If I got made fun of enough at work or school, I don't know if I'd keep on following. I don't know if I'd be vocal about it anyway. Some of us, maybe some relationships, we've had to distance ourselves because we were going places we knew God didn't want us to go and we would hang out with those people. And, and man, we felt some of the pushback of that. And, and who knows the way our country is going. But, but at the very least, I think we take comfort in this, that God will give us the grace we need to endure these situations. Some of you guys, you look back at portions of your life and you go, man, I don't know how I got through that. And then you go, oh yeah, I do know how I got through that. It was the grace of God. I think back to about three years ago now when we lost my mom and I think about the moment she passed away, the moment she took her last breath 
and my family's around the bed, and we're all crying, and we're hugging, and, and I just think of my dad in that moment, and I think back to having the thought, I don't know how he's going to get through this. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I look back three years later, and all I can say is the grace of God carried us through that and healed us and helped us. And the same grace that was there then during a horrible time of suffering will be there again when you or I are tempted to walk away, when you or I are tempted to shut up because of fear, when we're tempted to run and hide, when we're tempted to deny the name of Jesus. I don't know what's going to happen in our lifetime, but I do know that we don't have to be afraid of it. Because Paul and Silas could look back and see the grace of God carrying them, and we can look back and see the same. The story continues, and God shows them how much he's with them. In verse 26, suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. The jailer knew that if he had let the, the prisoners escape, that his, his bosses were just going to end his life. So he thought, I'll just do it myself. Verse 28, but Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in and fell trembling before, before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Just think about this. This is the same jailer who put them in the inner cell and put their feet in the stocks. Do you know what happened in this jailer's life? He discovered that following Jesus is worth it. He discovered that this Savior who was put on a cross must be alive again because he just shook the jail. Then we see a little bit more evidence of some amazing grace here in verses 31 to 34. It says this, They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them, washed their wounds, then immediately him and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he'd come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Can we just think about this for a second? All right, Paul and Silas do a miracle. They're beaten. They're thrown in prison. They know following Jesus is worth it. They stand strong because God's given them grace. Then the jailer finds out following Jesus is worth it. And just think about this for a second. So important. The jailer is now filled with the grace to stand strong. Well, Doug, what do you mean? Well, before they were going to kill him for just letting the prisoners go, what do you think is going to happen to him now? He's washed their wounds, taken them to his house, fed them, and put his faith in their God. What are they going to do to him now? We don't know what they're going to do to him because the story doesn't tell us. But we know what the jailer knew, that this probably was going to cost him everything, that this probably could cost his family everything. But what does it say here? It says he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God. You see, that's God filling that part of our soul that we can't exchange anything for. That's just That's this jailer finding and realizing that following Jesus is worth it. And he was willing to take up his cross and follow. And he was willing to count the cost no matter what that meant for him. And so in these men's lives, we see the answers to our question. Both questions. 
Jesus gave us our first answer. Hey, it's worth it. And Paul and Silas and the jailer will give us our second. God's going to give us the grace we need to stand. And that's what I want you to walk out of here with tonight. This thought, that following Jesus is worth it, and he'll give us grace to stand strong. Jesus is worth it. And he'll give us grace to stand strong. No matter what is threatened, no matter what is done, it's always worth it. And he will give us grace to stand strong in those hard and difficult times. And so, guys, what do we do? Well, we don't let the pressure around us shut us up. And again, like I said last week, this doesn't mean we're obnoxious and we're annoying and we push people away from Jesus. No, this means we shine brightly and we don't sit back and we don't stop taking steps toward our Savior. What does this look like practically? You know, this is sort of like a big message, like, hey, let's do this. What does this look like on Monday? It just means you keep on taking a step toward your Savior. It means you keep on pursuing him like we sung about earlier it means you don't stop pursuing him as you keep looking to him and you go it's worth it it's worth it it's worth it no matter what anybody does or says it's worth it and you rest in the fact that no matter what is threatened or done through you and me god will give us grace to stand strong you see i think sometimes it's like we go man i I really want to be strong. I really want to stand strong for Jesus, but I just don't know if I have that in me. I don't know if I can keep myself. Well, guess what? I have great news for you. Your salvation didn't start with you. Jesus saved you. And you know what the Bible says about Jesus? It says he's the author and the finisher of our faith. It means he started writing your story, and he's going to finish writing your story. And so you standing strong doesn't depend on your willpower. It depends on your relationship with this wonderful Savior who died in our place. And so if you and I will keep following, and if we'll stand strong as God provides grace, then we're going to have the joy and the satisfaction and the salvation that our Savior offers us. It's costing us something. Honestly, in America, it's a little bit of a wake-up call, isn't it? It's a little bit of a, a shaking, which probably isn't a half bad thing for you and I. As it gets darker, like I said last week, we shine more brightly. And so as we kind of close out this series, I just hope that you're encouraged. I hope some of the fear, I hope some of the the places maybe you let your mind go, some of the self-doubt that you might have, have been dealt with a little bit. And I hope you just are ready to live every day like Jesus is coming back today, that you're not worried about trying to pinpoint a date or a time. Just always be ready, always be excited, always be living in that moment that we'd be effective, and then that we would always, as the world gets darker, that we would shine brighter. And then today that we have seen together that Jesus is worth it, and he'll give us grace to stand strong. If you're a follower of Jesus, keep on taking a step toward him. Keep on pursuing him. Keep on growing closer to him. Don't, out of fear, step back, but continue to pursue him and let let him use you. I just want to close with a really encouraging verse. Jesus is about to ascend to heaven after he rose back from the dead. And he tells his followers what I've told you the last two weeks. Look what he says. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. What's that? Well, let's live today like Jesus come back today. Let's be ready. Let's be on mission and let's shine brightly, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says this, and surely I'm with you always to the very end the age he's with you 
he showed Paul and Silas in that jail, I'm with you. I know it hurts. I know it costs. But I'm with you. And he's with you. And he's with me to the very end. And so you and I can have peace. And we can know that our lives and our relationship with him are ultimately in his hands. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope today you're seeing that it's worth it to follow Jesus. Yeah, it costs something because we live in a really broken, dark, messed up world. But what you and I get from our Savior so far outweighs the cost. And I hope you won't hold on to your little quarter today and deny the million, the billion, the trillion, you know, the incalculable amount of blessing that God wants to pour on your life in my life. And so if you want to put your faith in Jesus today, I would love to pray for you. And I would encourage you to let go of all this little life stuff so that you can receive real life stuff. Because when all is said and done, what can men or women give in exchange for their soul? Let's pray. God, we just praise you so much and thank you, Lord, for the fact that you're with us, God, to the very end. You're with us. God, we thank you for the grace that you give. We thank you that it is worth it. And I just pray tonight that you will encourage us. I pray that you'll remove fear from our hearts. I pray that we will shine brightly, not annoyingly, but in a way that's helpful and points people to Jesus. The hope that we have, God, let it catch to those around us. Let us be effective, God, in our workplaces and in our schools and in our families and our neighborhoods. God, use us. Give us opportunities and help us not shy away. And God, no matter how dark this world gets, I pray that you will show us over and over again that following you is worth it. And God, let us experience for ourselves the grace to stand strong. I pray for people that are trying to make a difference on their campus. I pray for people that are trying to make a difference in their their workplace. I pray that you'll fill them with grace to do so. I pray for people that are just going through a horrible time in their life right now. They've gotten a bad report from a doctor or someone they love has or they've lost someone or their finances are falling apart or their job is a mess or they've just been broken up with. Or they're, they're, I just pray, God, that that same grace that carried me when my mom passed away will carry them tonight. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, then I would encourage you to put your trust in him tonight. If you want to do that, you can just pray something quietly like this. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for being beaten in my place. Today, I put my trust in you as my Savior. And I thank you for this gift that you've given me. Right now, I realize that I'm accepting a gift. And I thank you that it cost your life to give it. And I also recognize that there's a cost to following you, Jesus. And I just pray that you'll remind me over and over again that it's worth it. And that you'll fill me with the grace to stand strong. Help me to make a great difference in the lives of the people around me. And I thank you for this awesome gift that you've given in your name.